0: Am I am I connected? I don't know, yes. I've never done the Britney Spears thing before, so it's it's a little bit different. I was telling my wife, um that I mean you guys all know that Paul's a liar, so that I don't he's a sinner like the rest of us and I am actually jet lagging pretty bad right now. And we're six hours ahead, so um that makes it about thirty minutes past midnight, so I'm really kinda I was just yawning there a minute ago and then, oh my goodness. But, uh, yeah, we'll be here long enough, just long enough to get over that, and then it'll be time to go back and adjust back the other way. But it's really great to be back. Um, uh, So we're from Birmingham, and we've lived our whole life here. And until we moved to Ireland, we we ain't never been nowhere. You know, this (laughs) this is where we've been. You know, we started dating when we were 15, got married when we were 22, and lived in Birmingham all our lives. And I saw the head turn, and I wouldn't recommend that any child start dating when they're 15, so you youngins back there, yeah, uh, I told my daughter she couldn't do it, she did it anyway. But um, we're going to be looking today, and or tonight in the morning, at um, at a theme of, um, I guess God just kind of put to me, but the idea of kind of kinda lifting our eyes and, and seeing the harvest and seeing, do we really see? We're going to talk tonight about what it means to, to look and see what's out there, to see the harvest. I, um, I've talked to a lot of people who, um, who really can't, couldn't imagine themselves being in missions. And Laura and I could never imagine ourselves being missionaries in any sort or way. And a lot of people who couldn't imagine being involved in missions in any way. Um, so I want to talk tonight a little bit about maybe some, some of the barriers that are there that keep us from seeing the harvest, that keep us from seeing what's going on in the world. And I think there are some barriers. And then tomorrow we'll, in the morning we'll look a little bit at, at how we might respond. But um, we're going to look over, if you want to uh, turn in your Bibles uh, to John. We're going to be in chapter 4. Uh, we'll start reading it. We're going to read in a minute. Uh, starting in verse 27. Um, so John 4. Before we do, if um, you know, we're from Wexford, Ireland is where we live, which is in the southeast of the Republic of Ireland. Um, It's a, a, I guess, a fairly decent. It's the biggest sized town in the county. It's uh, 20,000 people. For Ireland, it's a pretty big sized town. It's on the coast. It's an old place. It's been around for uh, 15, 1600 years. It's been there a long time. As you walk around Wexford. there's a lot to see. You know, you'll see out on the quay, you know, they have these beautiful ships there on the harbor that they've actually, the ships never move. I think they're there purely for aesthetics to create a certain ambiance. They don't ever go anywhere and I don't think they actually function. They just, they sit there. All, it's beautiful. They sit there all the time, you know. Um, so yeah, you see, the, you see the bows. There's beautiful buildings, centuries old architecture. You know, going back to the Vikings, uh, you know, you can look out our back window and see part of the old town wall that's there. Um, the, the roads are along the Viking trails. They're narrow one-way streets. Um, you, can, you can walk down Main Street, and there's a, there is actually a Church of Ireland there, which is most of the Church of Ireland's are empty or not being used, and there actually is one there. The chances of getting an evangelical rector are slim to none but the buildings there and it's beautiful and you can walk in and you can see the georgian architecture and it's it's really pretty. Um, you can you can walk around through the, through the through the we live in town you can walk through the town there's a there's a ruined a medieval abbey there Selsker Abbey it's just gorgeous. Uh, if you come into Wexford town from Dublin on the N11 uh, you'll see the um Fairy Castle which is actually just a tower that was built there in the in the 800s to protect the waterway. Um there's throngs of people there in, in Wexford on the, main, on the main street if it's a sunny day. There's Africans, there's Polish, um, lots of other Europeans, uh, Australians, English, oh, Nigerians. There's all sorts in, in Ireland now, and you'll see all these people. You see teens in the afternoons, sun on Saturdays, they come out in droves, and they walk up and they take over the town, and they walk up and down Main Street, which is a pedestrian-only area, so they walk up and down Main Street. In big clumps, you know, and walking up and down, you see, we have two uh, beautiful Catholic churches that were built around the 1840s during the potato famine, Uh, one just down the street from our house, and you'll see all these things as you walk around, and and many more, Uh, we actually do have a small Presbyterian Methodist church, yeah, it's Presbyterian Methodist, there's so few of them, they join together, (laughs) and they alternate every other year, they're Presbyterian and then they're Methodist you think I'm joking, but I'm not. That's really the way it is. It's really the, and I'm like, somebody just doesn't know what they believe. How do you put a Methodist and a Presbyterian together? Who, how does the government work? I don't understand it. Uh, but anyway, you see, that's the beautiful stuff. But if you could close your eyes for maybe just a second and reopen them with a different vision, the same things are there, but I think you'd see the people, maybe if you could see them just a little bit differently, you would see... People that are really searching and longing for something that's deeper than what they have. There's a a lot of pain, a lot of loss. Depression is rampant. Suicide rates are very high. Um, Addiction rates are high, even among teens. Alcoholism is uh, rampant. Idolatries of all sorts. Um, And maybe. Maybe with the help of the Spirit, if we looked at a place like that, we could actually see that there, there is a harvest. There are people there that need the gospel. There is a harvest that is ready to be harvested. That's why people need the good news of Jesus in a place like that. But when we look at the world around us, what do we see? Um, in the passage we'll read in a minute, Jesus tells his disciples to see that there is a harvest. There, and do we see the harvest? Uh, the section of John, Jesus is kind of encouraging the disciples. Um, he's confronting them with their with their inability to actually see the harvest is is there. And um, so, as we read this, I want us to see some of those things that he exhorts them about, and I think we really can identify with. I know I can, in a large way. And there's some barriers that are there, so. So before I read the text, so let, me, let me just pray for just a second. Yeah, Father, um, I'm tired, and it's been a, a long day and a long journey, but still excited to be here with your people in this place and excited to worship together and hear from your word. And uh, I really I want you to speak uh, to me and through me. I want to be encouraged as I think about the harvest and I want to be empowered to, to work in it and I want that for these, these folks too. So we ask for your spirit to come, Lord Jesus, and, and meet us and teach us and draw us closer. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So yeah, John 4, will start in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. This is God's word. I want us to look at three different barriers in the text, and I've given them created names to Kind of go with theme. Three different barriers. The first one is spiritual myopia. The second is a spiritual astigmatism. And then spiritual tunnel vision. I was very proud of myself coming up with those. <laughs> spiritual myopia. So you know what myopia is. Anybody know? It's so a lot of glasses wearers out there. You may know what myopia is. Any any takers, anybody know what myopia, what that is? Bunch of Presbyterians. Yeah, nearsightedness, right, yeah. Myopia is just the, the medical word for nearsightedness. So with nearsightedness, we have trouble seeing objects that are distant, right? It's really easy to focus in on things that are close. Really easy to focus in on things that are close. Um, it's very easy to focus on ourselves. And I think the disciples were struggling with spiritual myopia. Okay, spiritual myopia. So let me read the little the text that kind of pertains to this, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Um, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, "My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work." It is rather enigmatic passage. You know, it's kind of hard to grasp. Maybe a little important to understand a little bit of the context of where all this happens. Okay, and Jesus has perfectly, purposely taken the disciples into a place that they normally would not have gone. They went into Samaria. Normally, the Jews would have gone around Samaria. They would have taken the long way. You know, it's like going from Moody to from, from Moody to, to um, I don't even remember the names of the cities, the towns. I grew up here. From, from Moody to Gardendale and going around 459. We're not going to go through town. We're going to go around town, you know, to get there. And that's what they did. They didn't go through Samaria. Because Samaria was not, was not a place that the Jews interacted with the people. The Samaritans, if you remember Samaria in Jewish history, had been conquered by the Assyrians. And the way the Assyrians worked Was they came in and took all the cream of the crop of the people back away and they populated the area with just a mixture of slaves and races of all sorts. And these people came in and they married the Jewish people that were there. And so they were mixed race people and the Jews despised them. They were unclean in a lot of ways for the Jewish people. And because that's kind of the context of what's going on. So so they brought him here and so they come here and Jesus then has this interaction with the woman. The disciples go away to to buy food. And and kind of step back just a little bit further, the disciples come back. They've been to buy food, they come back. And they marveled that he was talking to this Samaritan woman. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. What kind of rabbi is this? But no one, this is from the text, they marveled... uh, he was talking to a woman that said, what? And no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town. So on and so on. So kind of confronted with the proposition of interacting with the Samaritans, confronted with the idea, the opportunity of interacting with the Samaritan woman, the disciples failed to envision anything greater than lunch. Okay, they, that as far as they could get was 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 lunch. That was it. And Jesus had taken them to this really out of the ordinary place, purposefully to interact with these Samaritans. And he's having this totally unorthodox conversation. And they come back and they absolutely ignore her. They act like it's not even happening. And they are interacting. You, know, you want ham or turkey? You know, it's like, what do you want? You know, they're they're worried about lunch and. When I read that, it just so, it resonated so much with me. And it reminded me of a great, um, this great cinematic thing. I, I don't know, you guys probably wouldn't. It's the Lord of the Rings, have you ever heard of that? <laughs> no, okay, I'll skip that illustration and move on. But in the, in the, actually in the movie adaptation, it's not in the books, but in the movie adaptation, this scene takes place. And it's a great thing, I love it. And uh, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, go see it. I mean, it's, it's just really great stuff. But there's a couple of characters you know, in, in this scene. That's, uh, one is, is they're Mary and Pippin, if you've seen the, if you've seen the movie you know the characters. Mary Brandebuck and Peregrine Took, also known as Pippin. And they're on a journey with the, with the ring. They're fleeing the bad guys, to put it, sort of all the guys on the big dark horses. And they're trying to get away from them. So they're leaving their homeland, the Shire. They're going to see the elves. And they're being led at this point by this guy named Aragon. And, you know, he's some great sermon illustrations with Aragon, some good stuff. But this conversation takes place. So they're walking out. They've left the shower. They're walking along. And Aragon says, gentlemen, we do not stop till nightfall. And Pippin says, what about breakfast? You know, and Aragon says, you've already had it. Pippin says, we've had one, yes. But what about second breakfast? the Aragon turns and walks off in disgust. And Mary says, I don't think he knows about second breakfast, Pip. Pippin says, what about Levensees? Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? Mary says, I wouldn't count on it. The disciples had the exact same focus. If you saw the movies and you know the grand, this transcendent, epic thing that's happening. And not once, but a couple of times, Mary and Pippin get them in trouble by... Worrying about their immediate felt needs, their food. Their foods. And and this is what the disciples and to them he says, Your Your eyes are turned down. I need you to lift up your eyes. There is there's a reality that I want you to see. And, and that the question that we're dealing with here isn't actually really about food. You know? It's not about food, it's, it's more about Were the disciples really understanding the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus was in their life at that time? It wasn't about he was upset about their food. He was upset about, or whether he was upset, but he wanted them to focus on a different reality. And I I really feel like maybe this is the place that I resonate that I find this perpetual commonality with the disciples and their struggle to believe the reality of jesus who he is and the reality of the gospel they had this deep struggle and this it's a little point i recognize but it's kind of two little side issues or two little applications or whatever sub points or work it out let's just work it out a little bit okay what were they worried about their felt needs they're focused myopically on themselves one was their physical needs they're worried about their food you know without doubt they're concerned. And the passage that immediately came to mind was a passage I memorized years ago. And you may know it. It's from Matthew 6, where, where you know, Jesus is talking. And he says, now Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, and you, know, how you sleep, and all that sort of stuff. Your Father knows you need these things. He knows you. Your Father knows. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And he'll provide those things. All those things will be provided for you. I'm like, Wow. It just really struck me that it felt like the disciples, they were missing, they were missing all this because they were really concerned about whether or not they were going to have lunch. You know, and, and I felt like the, the kind of force of the scripture is, are we really living in the reality of Jesus that we have a father who knows and cares and provides for us? Or do we spend our lives worried about what we're going to eat what we're going to drink and how we're going to clothe ourselves, what kind of cars we have and what kind of houses we have and all of our material trappings, is that where our attention really is? And are we missing, maybe, missing something really big that God is doing? Because we're focused trying to do something that our Father is in charge of. You know, trying to do something our Father... So it's kind of a, um, if you will, a physical application of that to our physical needs. But also I think there's, there's a spiritual application or a way to work it out a little bit spiritually. It's, it's really hard to, to lift our eyes and see the harvest when they're focused on ourselves. And remember, we're talking about myopia. It's really hard for me to look up and see the harvest when I'm so worried about my own needs physically and my own needs spiritually. Uh, well, you walk around in probably most of Europe, but I know it's true in Wexford. And that is, you know, we live in the town and there's, uh, we don't have a front garden, a front yard. You know, you walk out a door and it's concrete. You know, you're on the street. And um, the, the roos, you know, it rains a lot in Ireland and everything's green, which I used to think was really pretty. And the roos get these thick moss stuff on them. So when you have a good rain shower, the stuff kind of rolls off onto the sidewalks. And then people in Ireland love dogs. And they take their dogs for walks. And the dogs poop on the sidewalks. And they don't clean it up. And so when you go places, you've got to process. What's a moss and what's not a moss? And where can I step? You know what I'm saying? It's important. <laughs> there might be a clean patch to step on. They actually do. We have people that come around and scoop and clean all this stuff. But there may be a clean patch to step on. But you're trying to get from here to there. And it's, there have been multiple occasions where I'm walking through town like this and actually run square into somebody. that's coming the other direction. There's no way that I can look and see this when I have to focus on you know. And I think there's the, a the great kind of spiritual application in the Gospel for us to think about. And that is, when I'm really worried about my own walk, my own walk, when that is the focus of my life, I'm not going to be able to see. I'm not going to be able to lift my eyes and see. And I think the reality is, I know I do this, I'm very myopic, and that I spend so much time trying to gain the love and acceptance and security that's provided for me by Jesus. I spend so much time trying to manufacture Some way to prove to God that in the words of Sylvester Stallone, I am not a bomb. That was one of the Rockies, if you missed that. But um, to prove to God that I'm not a bomb, that I can't really see. I don't even see the Polish person walking toward me that I'm fixing to plow over. I can't see. Because I'm focused on what my father has already provided. I'm trying to accomplish it again. To be myopic in what we're doing is going to keep us from being able to see the harvest if we can only focus on our own needs. Myopia. Focus on what's close in. But physically, What are where are we in our lives physically with just our circumstances? And our, you know, there's a lot of pain and suffering in our lives and in the world. I recognize that. Um, there just is. And, and uh, that's okay. But where are we in our goals and our agendas? You know... Um, uh, what are we striving toward physically in our lives? Do we need them more? You know, do we really need it? I think there's really a really lot of conviction for me in how I live and related to that. I know. And then spiritually, um, what's my real apprehension of the gospel right now? Is it, is it you know, am I really believe in that Jesus is enough that I can then be empowered and enabled to move out? Of the, first, uh, the first barrier, I think, is a tendency for us to focus on what's close. Second barrier is astigmatism. And I picked that because I have it. That is why I wear glasses, because I have astigmatism. Any takers on what astigmatism is? Just the the uh, whole Britney Spears thing is kind of strange. Any take, anybody know what astigmatism is? Anybody have Astigmatism. All right, so I know you know what it is. See, that was a trick. You know, <laughs> bunch of Presbyterians. We need Next Sunday, we're meeting at the local charismatic church. We're going to fix some of this. Okay? All right? That's okay. I'm a Presbyterian, too. We sing, Lord, I... Uh, what's that song? I hate it. We sing it. Worship, I lift my hands to you, and then nobody lifts their hands. So why do we sing this song? We're not going to lift our hands. We all feel guilty now. So astigmatism, you know, and astigmatism, I take my eyes, my glass off, everything's blurry. It doesn't matter where it is, you know, and it's a misshaping of the cornea, I think, whatever it happens as you get old, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah. But, yeah, everything is blurry when, with with astigmatism. It's, a, it's it's really rough. It's hard to focus on pretty much anything. Um, so the, really just magnification is what all this is, but it's different for each eye. The disciples struggled with this condition. Verse 35, do you not say... There are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Kind of, think again about the, the context I gave you a minute ago with the Samaritans. Um, the disciples would have, you know, they're going to Samaria. They know what they're doing. They would have been thinking, oh, Samaria, ooh, don't think so. You know, it really an inability to look at the Samaritans and see that there a harvest could possibly exist. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's not possible that there could even be a harvest. And Jesus says, kind of common, that you'd walk out and go, yeah, yeah the field, you know, it's growing, but still a couple more months before we're going to get the tractor out. You know, I mean, it's, there's no harvest really going to happen here. You know, in Ireland, we have, a, we have a plant called rapeseed. I didn't know what it was when we moved over there. They... Actually, they distill it and make rapeseed oil, so it'd be like sunflower oil that you cook with, you know. And they also use it for biofuel, but so it's subsidized heavily by the EU because they use it for biofuel. But it's growing through most of the season, you wouldn't know it. But when it comes into bloom, it's bright yellow, bright yellow, and you can just wow. I mean, there's fields of it, it's, whew, it's bright yellow. It's amazing. We didn't have any idea what it was, but that's what it is called rapeseed. But um, so the disciples. But the stops they gazed around them in this area where Jesus says is rapeseed. But they came in, they looked around. They're in Samaria, they look around, so, okay, we're going to get lunch. And they saw with their blurred visions what they saw did not compute when it came to Messiah, Samaritans. No relationship. Doesn't compute. There's no message here. There's no connection. There's no involvement of us with them. Um, maybe they looked around, they saw unclean. They saw racially repugnant. They saw Democrats. They saw Republicans. I don't know, they saw liberals, conservatives, I don't know, white, black, yellow, brown. They saw poor people, rich people. But they saw something that in their own own cultural grid, the Messiah who we have here does not connect with them. There's no connection. It was a complete fuzz, a complete blur to them. And I think it's a barrier for us. I think just like the last one, this is a place of commonality between us and the disciples. Jesus then exhorts them to lift your eyes. I want you to see. I want you to really see. I want you to really see what's there. Not just look, but really, really see. Um, Let's go back in time just about five minutes ago. You remember the Lord of the Rings, right? There's this great illustration with this whole rain thing. Okay, there's the there's the ring of power. You yeah, gotta remember that. You gotta remember the ring of power. You know the whole movie, the whole series is based on the ring of power. Okay, so the ring of power, and so Bilbo Baggins. If you saw the Hobbit, which was part one was just out. I think there's 16 parts to it, but part one was just out And the Hobbit. So Bilbo in the in the story of the Hobbit, he finds the the, the ring of power. It's dropped by Gollum in the, in the caves, and he keeps it. You know, and it uh, and it does all its stuff. But um, he in the beginning of the, uh, um, the Fellowship of the Ring, Bilbo is leaving to go live with the elves, and Gandalf, the great wizard, gets Bilbo to leave the ring for his nephew, Frodo. Okay, you're all with me, right? These are hobbits, about this tall, at furry feet. Okay, so it's the ring of power. And uh, it's the one ring, you know, it, it controls everything. It's, it's, it's the it for the whole, the whole series. And... Um, so but Gandalf doesn't know what it is, really. I mean he knows it's a magical ring because Bill he saw Bilbo use it to disappear. So he's like, okay, this is there's a magical ring here. There's lots of magical rings out there. And but he has a suspicion of what it might be. And so he 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 gives it to Frodo, he seals it, he clamps it, and he gives it to him and he tells him to do something with it. What does he tell him? Keep it secret, keep it safe. I really thought you guys would be Lord of the Rings fans. <laughs> disappointed. How about, do y'all like Oh Brother Where Art Thou? I have a lot of those illustrations. <laughs> That's one of my second favorite movies, but we can go there tomorrow. I'll make up some tonight. But so anyway, Gandalf runs off and uh, yeah, Gandalf goes off and visits uh, or does this research and he comes back and he, he's got the knowledge and he knows, I know how to figure out what this ring is. And he, and he um, if you remember, what he, he takes the, the envelope of the ring and he throws it in the fire. And he gets it out and he takes it and he drops it in, in Frodo's hand. And then Gandalf's sucking on his pipe and he's looking over this way and he's like, What do you see? And, uh, and, and, and you know, he's staring at it, it's like, No, no, that's nothing. So Gandalf says, Oh, okay, okay. He says, like, Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Yep, there's some writing on there. And it's some language I can't read. And Gandalf says, Oh, that's the language of Mordor. Few people can read it. And it's evil. And you look really close. When you look really close. You, you, you see the evil. I think for us, if we look really close around the world, maybe we don't let's don't see let's not not see uh, the need for. Um, you know, we look at we look at countries and say they need racial racial reconciliation, or they need democracy, or they need capitalism. America has been good at exporting, or maybe they just need morality. They just need to get it together. They need to stop doing that. Pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Get up. Go to work. Let's take care of it. Maybe that's what they need. Maybe that's what my neighbor needs. That, maybe that's what the people... Maybe that's what they need. But I think if we look look just a little bit closer, if we gaze just a little bit harder at the ring, we'll see that the real writing on that is, is sin. That there is a tremendous need in the world, but the real issue isn't their democratic or, or not democratic. It's not their political system. It's not their racial system. The real issue in the world is that people are separated from God by their sin. The reason there's so much hopelessness in every country you go to, the reason that there's so much loneliness and depression and suicide and addictions, is because people are separated from who they're supposed to be. They're separated from their Creator. They're separated from Shalom by sin. Driven a wedge between them and the reality of the garden in their life. So uh, uh, one kind of um, astigmatism thing here is that there is no harvest in this place. Remember they looked at, at, the, at the garden. I, they looked at Samaritan and said there is no harvest. The Messiah doesn't compute. I think sometimes we're tempted to look at the world and say there is no harvest. Not not to really see that the real issue out there... And I think when we begin to look through those eyes and see what the world needs is the real problem out here actually is sin. And they need Jesus. There's a tremendous harvest everywhere. It's all in bloom. Because the Gospel can go all these places. And and maybe the the second one that kind of flows with that is I think oftentimes... And Laura and I are lived in this place a long time and we had to have been kicked out uh, we're, uh, we're more like drug out of the boat Th- there's a great uh, thing on Facebook there's a little cartoon of
1: the um, Footprints
0: in the Sand the, the, the poem where you say you got the walking alongside him and God they're walking along together and there's a one set and he comes like well God says well that's why I carried you and then there's another added to that and then, then, then God says in that trench over there is where I drug you kicking and screaming you know, I feel like you know our mission journey has a lot of that in it. God, drug is kicking and screaming because the second little kind of astigmatism application here that we share with the disciples is that I just nearly connect that we have anything to offer in this in this harvest. You know, I just don't know that we have a place in the harvest. Yeah, I mean there are God calls them, and I have underneath this shirt. This act, I'm not actually overweight. This is my, I have a shirt under here that has a big S on it because I am super missionary. That's, that was my vision of missions was that it takes, it takes the super people, super Christians become missionaries. Now that's the people who become missionaries. No, that's just not true. We are some of the most messed up people you're ever going to meet. But Jesus is really big. You know, he's really big. And, and I, I, I think what's really important for you to know is that God's always used messed up people. God prefers to use messed up people. If you don't believe me, you can do a quick survey of your Bibles. Um, now, Abraham, he had it all together. That was one sharp dude. Well, that was before he told Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. And before he had that baby with this Hagar woman. I mean, that was, I mean, he, Abraham was a messed up dude. He had times just like us where he believed and he had faith that was a model for everyone. And other times you want to go, Wow, what are you thinking? He struggled with belief and unbelief. Just like we do. Sometimes the gospel, the promise of the Redeemer and the Messiah was clear as crystal. And sometimes he couldn't find it for nothing. He was trying to protect his own skin because he didn't believe God was going to do it. He was trying to, with Hagar, he was trying to fulfill the promise of God because he thought God had forgotten. He didn't think God was going to pull it off. There's some other great ones. I mean, You can, you can kind of go through and pick them out. Um, Moses was pretty good, a great hero of the faith. You know, um, I, I like the the little, the little scene where he, you know, he finds the the um, uh, he finds what was it? I can't even remember my Bible anymore. He finds that the two, uh, two the two Jews they were fighting, on it and, that, and he steps in and intervenes. And, or as a Jew, I forget. Somebody, some theologian, helped me here. He steps in and intervenes basically, and and. And takes over the salvific plan by himself. You know, God had it working and Moses kind of took it over and he had to spend 40 years in Midian for that. But there's a lot of heroes in the scripture, but there's a lot of doubters. Look at Thomas and his doubting. You know, it's uh, the nail mark. He had to see. That's me. I got to see. I want to see the proof, you know. I can't just believe. Uh, the, the Apostle Peter, the quintessential doubter, you know, denies Christ three times. I mean, he he's the quintessential weak person. And um, in, the, in the words, kind of a... Uh, there's an author that you may notice that he's kind of edgy guy. He's uh, named Brennan Manning in one of his books, The Ragamuffin Gospel, which I, I think is a wonderful book. Um, he um, uh, he says that uh, the gospel is for the weak need and wobbly disciples whose cheese keeps falling off the crackers. And that's us. You know, we're weak people. And sometimes we believe and sometimes we've got the gospel as clear as, this day and sometimes it's clear as mud. You know, and, um, and that's who we are. And that's okay. But it's, uh, it's a barrier to think that, that we don't have anything to offer. God uses weak people and he always has. Because it's in weakness that God has shown to be strong. Alright, so um, so you've got spiritual myopia. Focus on yourself, your own phys- physical spiritual needs. Talking about stigmatism now, it's kind of a blurry vision of can we interact is there a harvest? And do we have an interaction with the harvest? Okay? So I don't want anyone here to think I don't have I don't have enough to offer. I don't have the resources to offer. I don't have you know, I'm not a very good prayer and I can't go. Um, I think God uses the people that don't have much to accomplish a lot. You know, so I hope you're encouraged and but as you interact with that, those barriers, just kind of see as that's what they are, that temptation, that, that word from your flesh or the devil is that you're not good enough. And he's right, but Jesus is. you know, And he covers all that. And that's all we need. The last one, and I'm getting sleepier as I go, if you haven't noticed, but um, spiritual tunnel vision. Now, what's tunnel vision? It's kind of an easy one, guys. Come on. You know, it would be a very narrow... It's a medical condition where you lose your peripheral, your peripheral vision. You have a very narrow, narrow, a narrow view, uh, a small view of what is happening. And I think for us, having a small, the disciples had this, had a small view of what was happening in the harvest and what was really going on. Um, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you didn't labor. Others have labored. You've entered into their labor. I think what Jesus is trying to get, he's doing is he's inviting his disciples to join into the army of God that's already out conquering the world in the name of Jesus. He wants them to participate in this redemptive mission. Um, I don't know who would have come before to plant the seeds with the Samaritans. I don't know. But he's saying there are, there are folks that come and sow. There are folks that come and reap. There are different places of involvement in missions. Everyone's not called to go work with the house church in China. Everyone's not called to go. You know, to, we have a team in Uganda. Everyone's not called. I'm not going to Uganda. Well, I might get drug kicking and screaming. But we ain't going to. The snakes are big in Uganda. They got some spiders there. We ain't got no snakes in our. I went and played golf with some buddies. I knocked my ball. Well, I always knock my ball over there. And you can go over there, guys, and stomp around. Don't worry about nothing. You're not going to step on nothing that bites because there ain't nothing that bites. You know? You can look all day, find 100 balls. There ain't no snakes. You know? Don't make no difference. You, know? better, you need to spend all day because it costs so much. Um, but three things to hear I, I want to kind of pick out of this real quickly. Um, one, the, kinda, the, the, the diversity of what missions is. Sometimes we fail to see the harvest. Because we don't see ourselves as farmers. Okay, we don't see that, well, I have something to offer in the harvest. That, you know, really it's just for the guys that can knock on the door, do EE, e., do support spiritual laws. That's the people that go be missionaries. Um, if I told my Irish the Irish guy that I spend most of my time that I was going to knock on doors and share EE, e., he would um, call the sending center in Philadelphia and ask them if they could get a private jet to come and pick me up before I messed up everything he'd been working on for the last 20 years. Okay, it's not necessarily the method that works everywhere all the time. There's lots of different ways and things to be involved in missions around the world. There's lots of stuff to do, and lots of opportunities to do it. Um, there are there are reapers and sowers. I had an opportunity to do some sowing once on a, when I was in high school. There was a um, I did an internship. It was something Birmingham City Schools were doing, and so I worked with uh, some forestry folks for a, a semester or. And I went, we went out in South Alabama and they'd get, gotten some seeds from a, a place up in Branchville that takes, they take the seeds out of pine cones and they treat them. And then they sell them to people, different types of trees, you know. And so we were planting trees in South Alabama on this big field. And they basically just had a thing, a bag on my side with these silver seeds in it. And you just walk every so often and you had to put three seeds in. Spend all day sowing, you know. And I don't, somebody eventually or five years later came along and cut those trees down. That might be this paper right here. I don't know, but it was, it's, it was different, you know. I did the sowing, but I didn't get to see the reaping. And that's okay, you know, because I'm not, I'm not there to produce numbers for Jesus. I'm there to be faithful. And there's room for every, all, every single one of you can be involved in missions. You know, it, it may be that you're on the field. It may be that you're on your knees. It may be that you're making the most trips to the bank of anybody here, and that's all that's good. Because God blesses us all differently, and He calls us all differently to be involved. But um, lots of different, uh, there's room for lots of different, different folks and missions. Um, but I really think that Jesus wanted the disciples to know that God was at work among the, among the Samaritans, you know, and that God is at work in the world. We're not alone, guys. And I think that's the second little point. We're not alone. This is not our mission to do, and if we don't pull it off, then it's all gonna fall apart. That's just not true. All right. God is at work in the world. He is I think it's Piper is all about this. He's zealous for his own glory. Okay, he is. He is zealous for if if there's a story over in Second Samuel about David, I'll kind of give you a picture of the oh, wrong direction when David first became king. Second Samuel 5. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start with 17 if you're following along. It says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Ephraim, And David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up. For I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to um, to Belperazim and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has burst through my enemies before me like a bursting flood. Therefore the name of that place is called Belperazim. And the Philistines left their idols there. And David and his men carried them away. That's pretty good right there. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Ephraim. And then when David inquired of the Lord, he said, He said, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. And then go, for the Lord has gone out before you to smoke down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from, from uh, Geba to Gezer. And I think that's just a great story. I think it's a great example of what's really going on in the world. The sound of marching in the balsam trees is that God actually is going before us and working in the world. There is no, there is no chance of failure, guys. God is going before us. He's the one that's going to soften the hearts. He's the one that's going to, that's going to do the work in Wexford. I, there is no way I'll ever convince that Catholic lady next door to me that she don't know nothing about Jesus, it's just not going to happen. But God can, and I think that should give us great confidence to go, not to sit and let God do it because we're the means that He's going to use, but to go, and not to be worried that we got somehow got to manipulate people into the kingdom. That we got to somehow—it's all. That's it's not true. We pray, we submit ourselves. To, Father, do you want? Do, you, what, do you, what do you want me to do today? How do you want this to work? Because you're going to get all the glory. And that God is out there working in the world. It is true. We are victorious. The The battle has been won. We will win, guys. I used to use football illustrations, but I got in trouble for that one time when I said something bad about Auburn. So I won't do those anymore. But we will win! <laughs> the third one is, uh, it's just similar kind of tagging on that, that we're not alone. God's going for us. And it's not in doubt. We are. We are going to win. There's this... You know, this, this idea, this insidious, we, we grab hold of this, this yin and yang, that there's opposing equal forces in the world. You know, there's these opposing equal forces. There's God and there's Satan. They're opposing equal That ain't even close. Okay? <laughs> you can't hardly even describe how wrong that is. Alright? There are no opposing equal forces. Alright? God is God and Satan is dust. He is nothing. He's a created being. He's not God. He has no power. You know, it blew me away in seminary when Jeff Lohman told me that Satan was not omnipresent. You're right. He can't be attacking Paul here and me in Ireland at the same time. He's just a created being. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's none of those things. He's, just a, he's a fallen angel. He's a demon. God is all-powerful god is all knowing God is everything. There's no risk of failure. If we walk around um around Wexford again, I left out the other day. I was working on these sermons, and um, I don't really have an office, so I try to work from home, but the kids are out of school for a week, so that it wasn't going to work and uh can't get I can't even get a computer much less concentrate and um have you ever heard of Minecraft? That straight from the pit of hell it smells like smoke. I'll tell you. <laughs> But yeah, Minecraft was at the house, so I really couldn't do a whole lot of Xbox stuff going on. So I left, I went down to, we have a library, I went down and worked at the library, but the kids were out of school and they were at the library too. And they took up all the computers and you couldn't, you couldn't get nothing. Um, it's a generational problem. Now, if you're at my age and older, you know when you go to the library, you're supposed to be quiet, right? It doesn't work for the kids. I didn't get that. But so I left out of the library and I just went on a walk through Wexford again. It was a, it was a sunny day. I went down to, we actually have a subway. Which I found is a great place to eat lunch because they got this little deal. And, um, so I went in the subway and I had to pass, walk down Main Street, and I had to pass. There's a, there's a beggar, Maggie, which beggars in Wexford, Ireland don't make sense because we've got the best social welfare system in Europe. So they're actually getting money. They're on the dole, they all get money. But she comes out and she begs and she'll sing some really sad song. She's sitting there and uh, smoking a cigarette on her cell phone. And, uh,
1: that
0: made me really angry. Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I got really angry. You know, she's sitting there on her cell phone smoking cigarettes. Are nine dollars a pack? And she's she's smoking cigarettes on her cell phone. Like, I mean, it's just I felt the cynicism. You know, the, the anger just welling up in me as I walked by her. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to figure out ways how to enter into your life and help you, and you just really make me angry. You know, and I, I walked on. I, I walked down. I got the subway, and there's a, some Eastern Europeans. I think it's a Polish guy. I don't know where the girl's from, but. I got in line, and uh, uh, Subway is one of the few places in Wexford, in Ireland, you go and you get a sandwich, and it tastes exactly like it does in America. They have pickles there, which I think is great. They have ice, it's amazing. But I got in line, I'm getting my Italian BMT. I told the lady I wanted it on the week. Italian BMT. said, You want sauce? I said, What? You want sauce? I said, What? He said, Three times. uh, The Irish girl next to me said, You want it toasted. She didn't say toasted. <laughs> Learn the language. I mean, you just kind of, You didn't say toasted. You said sauce. I said, no, I don't want any sauce. I, want, I don't want sauce. Mayo. I want some mayo. No sauce. I said, no, I don't want sauce. You know, and then I, I came back up. And one great thing about being you know, in Europe, Ireland is, in Ireland, there's laws that says that you can, you can busk. Busking is that you can take your musical instrument, and go stand on the street, and sing, and people can give you money, and you can stand wherever you want to and do it. And I think it's wonderful. We have music all over the place, all the time. The kids come out. There's music's big in the culture. They teach in the schools. There's kids out playing guitars, busking. There's but we got this one guy. He's our one breath saxophone player. He sets up his amp, and he's got a musical accompaniment, and he plays do 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 do. You know, it's just terrible. And he's out there every day, and he only plays like four notes because he's an old guy, and that's all the breath he's got. And it's all do do do. Hey, how you doing? Hey, do do do. You know, and it's just the one. I call him just the one breath saxophone player because that's all he can do is one breath. And you just, you you just kind of hear the condemnation in my attitude. You know, you hear the cynicism, and it's so easy for us to go there, and not to see these people, the people that. These, these people are a harvest. Now God says these people are harvest. And all these barriers that I just talked about, I suffer every single one of them. You know, I'm worried about myself. I don't want sauce. Yeah, no, I don't want sauce. I want mayo, I want pickles, I want olives. I don't want sauce. I'm worried, you know, it's all about me. The world revolves around me. I told, I told Isabella, my 8-year-old, 10-year-old the other day, I said, sweetheart, come here. I said, science discovered a long time ago that the sun is the center of the solar system. You are not. The doesn't. we don't revolve around you, sweetheart. You know. She knew it was a joke. But it revolves around me. So all of these barriers is what I feel, you know. I feel this myopia. I look out at the harvest and it's just a blur. These people don't need Jesus. These people need to go behind the shelves two by four. They don't need Jesus. They need to get straightened up. I don't see that sin is really the root, you know. I just don't I I don't get it sometimes. You know? And and, and I don't get that, you know. Sometimes I feel really guilty that I'm not doing enough, good enough job. I'm not, maybe I'm not working hard enough, and I'm not producing right. That I just don't get sometimes. God is at work out here. He's doing stuff, and I'm really freed up a lot to go and be involved in things. I don't have to feel pressure. You know, I don't. I can go out and just really invest myself in the life of people, and let God do the work. And so. And I hope, kind of, as you think about the barriers, if i have going kind to of communicate it halfway clearly, and kind of see what the disciples struggled with, that um, hopefully, like me, that if we're considering, like, what is, how does this apply? That, that maybe the Spirit will lead us to a place of repentance. That we see that we do these things. It's not just somebody else. It's us. You know, we, this is our vision. Needs to be needs to be changed. So we see the tremendous harvest in the world. And we see that we have a place in that harvest. All of us do. You know, we have a calling and we have a place in the harvest. So, let's pray. Um, yeah, Father, I just, uh, I really pray that you'll take this, uh, take the message and take the scriptures for them. Father, and just really plant and in, deepen in our souls the things you want us to remember. And, you know, the things you don't, you just wipe those away. And, and that the spirit will really work. And you'll give us a great love for lost people and a great love for you, and a real willingness to be involved in the harvest in whatever way that you would lead us to. But be open and ask the question, Lord, what what do you want of us? Where would you have us? How can we participate? Father, bless us as we go home and watch over us and keep us safe and uh, bring us back in the morning to worship you with glad hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.